Welcome to the Truly Rotten Potatoes podcast, Australia's toughest movie podcast, where we watch all the movies that have a 0% rating on RottenTomatoes.com. I'm here with my guest, my friend, my co-host, it's Mitch Gosling. Man, you're always, you always jamming me up. I love it. Former friend, former co-host. <laughs> all right, so we host this movie podcast. You guys may have heard of it. We have a few other hosts. We've got basically the best movie people in Australia Best to host this post. And, and two of them aren't here right now. Yes, yes. It, it, it's very unfortunate. Some of us have families. Some of us have obligations. Some of us are just, you know, clinging to <laughs> clinging to life. Clinging to dear life with the COVID virus. But we are here and that's we all are. that matters. Um, Morgan and Hayden are in a band called Big Reef and they've been touring and putting out singles and videos and playing and rehearsing a lot. So they've been super busy, but we thought it's been so long since we've had time to connect with our fans. It's time to connect with our fans. This is for you guys. This is, this is for you out there. You're welcome. So Mitch, if we were going to tell people why we started this podcast, what would you say? I'd say that it's uh, one part masochism um, and one part just not really being prepared for what we signed ourselves up for. I think that it, the idea was great and coming up, all right, truly rotten tomatoes because it's rotten tomatoes. So we want to see what's truly rotten out there. It seemed like a home run. And uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it's just pain. I guess what happened was uh, I think Morgan had the idea of watching all the films that had a 0% rating on mm. Rotten Tomatoes, which for those who don't know is a critic aggregate website. So they're not giving it that score, but it takes all the scores of all the official critics that watch these films and it aggregates them into a percentage of people who gave it a rating over six, six out of 10 or over. So a positive review versus negative, fresh versus rotten. I've heard people thought that you want to be rotten. They're like, rotten is good. Really? Yeah. Or they thought that, yeah, they, they thought that the, the scale was upside down, which is really funny, but you want a high percentage. <laughs> you want a lot of critics to have said this was not a bad movie. Yeah, you want people to like it. <laughs> but as we've had to explain, the percentage isn't critics gave this 83% out of 100. It's mm. 83% of the critics who rated this film, gave it a positive review, six and above. So you can have everyone give a film a six and be like, it's all right. It's pretty good. It's good enough. And then it'll get 100%, right? It doesn't mean they loved it. Mm. But what we are after is the exact opposite of that. The cream of the crop. The, what's the cream of the drop? Yeah. <laughs> the, the crap of the crop. The crap of the plop. <laughs> we want those ones that have 0%. We want not a single official critic gave this movie a positive review. So it has a 0%. Yeah, we're all about balance here. Because if you live your life in the fresh, then how are you going to know when it stinks? You know. And we thought it would be a fun exercise to spend hours and hours of our lives, not only sourcing these films mm. that some of them have been kind of lost along the way, mm. tracking them down, watching them, and then talking about them for at least an hour. And it sounded like a fun idea. It did. And it, you know what? It was. It was really fun for about the first four or five. 
You know what? The way you said that reminded me of one of my favorite Donald Trump lines yeah. where <laughs> after the election, he says something like, yeah, we, we were looking good to win this election. You know what? We did win this election. <laughs> <laughs> Which is sort of like what we're doing. You know, we did win. Yeah. We, well, we, we, we basically committed ourselves to abject pain, terror, horror, um, brain damage. Yeah. You can't really go back from, from, from that. Like, like what was the first one that you really felt like this isn't, this isn't going to be good for my mental health? Yeah, you're totally right. You can't go back. You can't unsee these, right? No. And it's not that they're all that bad or disgusting or horrifying or anything. It's just that they lose the plot of being interesting. Yeah. You, 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 well, you've got, you've got, uh, it's an ebb and flow. You know, it's a roller coaster. You've got, it's a really shitty roller say, coaster. In terms of roller coaster analogies, it's like a straight line mm. that's very slow and, almost on the ground <laughs> and and it maybe they start with like a little bit of a of a of a dip which is good mm. in roller coaster terms <laughs> but then after that it it levels out and then is just getting like slower and slower mm. well i mean what was the first one we ever did probably staying alive staying alive and that was a strong start but even then we would we were doing the tactic of watching it at 1.25 speed i think that People in our podcast who should not be named and are not here right now overrated how much they liked that movie. And I think they set themselves a high baseline um, <laughs> and, and, and that achievement is something they've been trying to catch ever since. And they've, they've compared everything to that. But in, I've been trying to say it wasn't even that good. No. They're like nothing ever <laughs> catches staying alive. This is the thing. I mean, uh, this, this podcast is a lot like heroin. Where the first the first hit, you've got so much. You're feeling that high. You're mm-hmm. feeling that amazing feeling, and then the rest of it is just damaging your body, and you're never going to feel that 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 first you know love chasing again. the dragon. You're never going to get there. I think that's <laughs> right. I think as a as it went on, soon after, maybe three, four, five movies in, mm. uh, the depression sets in, and yeah. um, it's probably like running a marathon where the first hour you're like, you know what? I'm killing this. I'm like, I've done 10 Ks of this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm being the best person I can possibly be. I'm being the best me I can be. And then after that, the fatigue starts to set in mm-hmm. and the reality starts to set in. And the point where you go, how much longer do I have to do this for? <laughs> because I'm not actually enjoying this at all. It's possible when I'm done, I will look back on it and be like, what an accomplishment. But until we get there, I am just slogging <laughs> through muscle fatigue. You know, like it, it really is a mixed bag there. And I do get excited these days because, you know, I don't think, I think there was a, a period of movies where you know why they're all rated zero, right? Like there was no, there's no shelf life on this thing. Like it's not, it's not. And some of them were, um, sequels to quite popular movies. So mm-hmm. Staying Alive is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, big John Travolta, like hit movie. We ha- we also had Jaws 4, The Revenge, I think. Yes, Jaws 4. And and there's a, and there was a late Police Academy movie in there as well. So <laughs> those- Oh, and those, Re- Return to the Blue Lagoon, yeah. which was a sequel to a, an already bad movie. 
So it's like- Which is just called Blue Lagoon? I think it's called the, the Blue, Blue Lagoon, Lagoon. Yeah. yeah. So in those ones, you can see why critics are just like, we liked this original series mm-hmm. and now you've ruined it with bad sequels and I, they are unwatchable now and we're giving this a 0%. That's happened a few times. Mm-hmm. Other ones were indie films. Other ones were like first time directors. There's a good mix mm-hmm. in the oeuvre of zero percenters. And our Bible that we stand by, that we pray to the altar of every time we do this podcast is the Wikipedia's list of films with a zero percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's God. But what I want to ask you is if the podcast is about watching films that have zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes.com, why is it now called Truly Rotten Potatoes? Well, I'm going to say that the first thing I think of is fear <laughs> from the system. Corporate we're gonna, fear. We're going to take the whole thing down. So when when did this happen? Was it 2020? End of 2020, we'd done maybe 10 episodes of Truly Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And we received an email and uh, suddenly our fans could not access the show that we put all this love and care into. Our bodies were on the line and um, money didn't care. There were branding issues. There was branding issues. led into legal issues. We got a letter from a a lawyer representing a website that aggregates critic ratings (laughs) um, that we try not to say the name of, which we have done a lot in this episode already. Yeah, do we bleep it? Let's bleep him. We can bleep it. We'll bleep him. Um, and, And that basically said, hey, you're infringing on our trademarks. And uh, mainly we were using the name in, in our name and we were also potentially using some similar logos if you wanted to take the most <laughs> drastic opinion of what similar is. Obviously, I'm not admitting to anything in a legal sense. I'm just saying- No, there, there were similarities. <laughs> there was, when, when, when we realized what, what uh, they were actually saying, it did make sense. Yeah. You know how when someone gets in your face and they accuse you of something and you're first, you want to react defensively. That's your first response. I was like, fuck these guys. (laughs) But then you take a couple of seconds to reflect and to, you know, think about this in good faith (laughs) and to maybe understand that there are other points of view out there. Yeah. You know, the, the point of view of a, of a corporation like that, I, I maybe judged them too harshly originally. Um. <laughs> and so we had our uh, our content struck down. I mean, maybe we should have made a bigger fuss of this. Maybe we should have been like, the, the man is trying to silence us. Well, I mean, we lost sponsors. Yes. We, we, you know, it was a, 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 a tomato-based podcast. So we've got Old El Paso on the line. Mm-hmm. They say- I would say we were in negotiations with- Old El Paso to be sponsors of our tomato-based podcast. You know, and, and there was a bit of dicey stuff there. I may have said that I liked Doritos. Apparently, they didn't really like that. But um, they loved the content and uh, really, I think they're just cowards. It was a very, as you said, dicey, dicey tomatoes. It was a dicey time. It was tumultuous and it was a dark time. And it really hurt the brand. Um, we had basically days to completely rebrand the podcast. We needed a new name. We needed a new image for the podcast library. We needed, uh, we had a lot of social media that was tied up in this old name. And we realized that it was not worth fighting. 
legally. Mm. It was not worth going to the court system and fighting our way through chief justices to get what we rightly deserved, which was just to keep our little podcast alive. Now, some people say, oh, you knelt down to the man. You took him in your mouth and you called him king. You bent the knee. You kissed his ring. All the kind of slightly homophobic things that people say about We did. So we did, by many accounts, bend the knee to corporate America. We, uh, we pledged fealty. We uh, apologized. And we rebranded. And that's where... Um, Basically, the conversation was, what's the closest name we can still have that doesn't <laughs> infringe on any copyrights or trademarks? And Truly Rotten Potatoes was born. It was a really difficult decision, one that took some heavy deliberation. Mm. It definitely wasn't um, uh, an hour-long <laughs> conversation. And I'm not proud of how I reacted in terms of being the CEO of our company yeah, you really when, went to shit. When the pressure came down. You, yeah, I mean, you were yeah. in shambles. I went full Elon Musk. Yeah, I was, I was seeing you and I was like, he's, he's laid off all the stuff. Mm-hmm. They weren't even getting paid. Nope. You know, I mean, they got a few tomatoes here and there, but they weren't in any kind of good state. And that was it. It was like, we can't pay people in tomatoes anymore. We have to not even mention the word. So we, we rebranded and we turned into Truly Rotten Potatoes and it was... Right around the time that uh, COVID, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, pandemic was... vid. Um, yes. Right. So that's like a, like a co-produced video company. Uh, no. You should, you should watch the news. I've been suggesting that for a while, but... No, no. I've, I've got Netflix. Cool. You know the period when nothing was coming out on Netflix for a while because... Uh, yeah, that was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, 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 we did rebrand. And uh, since then, we've gone on to make upwards of uh, just under 50 episodes of this show. Mm. Um, not all of them talking about films or potatoes, but many of them. And we have been traversing our Bible, um, scripture by scripture, psalm by psalm. And we are getting towards the end of this list of films. We are getting towards the end of the burden on our backs and the cross we have been burdened to bear. I'm excited to end this podcast. Me too. It, it is bittersweet though, isn't it? Like a little bit. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, where, you know, it was so hard. But we, we I mean, I got to say the, the, the copyright strike Feels like a turning point in the podcast where it became really fun. And we, we managed to get our biggest guests and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Once the, once the name was all sorted and the, and the sponsors were back, we could get those, those hardcore guests. And we've had some great people come on. Um, and we've forced some great people to watch some not <laughs> great films. And that's probably what I'm the most proud of. <laughs> What's the one you feel the worst about? Like the movie that we ended up showing someone that you know they had a horrible time with. The guest that I'm the most proud we got mm. would probably be Scott Owen, the bass player for The Living Definitely. End. Definitely. But he seemed to kind of enjoy the movie. And, he loved it. And it was just on <laughs> Netflix. Didn't. Yeah. So there wasn't that wasn't too much of a painful 
thing for him. I think he just watched the movie with his daughters or something. So, um, but there are a few that we've made. Uh, we what we, we made Michelle Brazier watch <laughs> basically a softcore pornography film called Killing Them Softly. Killing Them Softly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with the Brad Pitt Obama era. Yeah, uh, Killing Them Softly. Yes, not the Andrew Dominic movie um, from a few years back, but the sexual movie called, <laughs> oh, I've just looked at it. It was actually Killing Me Softly. Killing that's, Me Softly. That's the distinction um, from the early 2000s starring Heather Graham. Right, right. With the uh, quote unquote possibly unsimulated sex scene. <laughs> yeah, so we, we don't research these uh, potatoes beforehand. That's always been one of our rules. Mm-hmm. We don't want to go in knowing trivia so um, we don't even want to know who's in it necessarily. Sometimes we'll look at just like what's the next movie and maybe the genre or what year it came out. And maybe we already have heard of it and know a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the rule is you don't, you're not going in with a dissertation. We're not breaking them down. So you'll be watching and you go, oh, this guy directed this movie. Oh, mm. this person popped up in it. And it's like a fun surprise. Yeah, and- you want to actually experience the, the everything that this movie has to offer because, I mean- in- yeah, otherwise I feel like that's that's more pain, right? Yes. But making someone you don't really know, which a lot of our guests are, we are they're doing us a favor. Um, they're partaking in this fun little experiment that they know is Australia's toughest and hardest podcast. They know. The word's out there. And then they watch the movie and then we say, what did you think? And they're like, you strange boys made me watch a porno. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really bad during um, uh, uh, Cabin Fever. Yeah, because you we know, did we did that with Conchetta Caristo. Yeah, and um, I, I, I think that that was the one where watching it, I, I always, I always have that thought of like it's always when we have a really sweet guest that they get the really fucked up ones. Yeah, that was like especially when it's someone who doesn't particularly have an affinity towards horror or gore based <laughs> movies. And then you feel like I've I've tortured you by making you watch this. <laughs> I mean, it, if they came back to us and just said, "Hey, I can't watch that movie. I turned it off, and I'm I'm not going to do it." We would we would still have them on the show to talk about it. But most people are troopers. They've committed to doing this. They rise to the challenge. They know it's Australia's toughest podcast. You gotta you gotta kind of crawl through the mud. Yeah, they know it's worth it in the end. Um, but when you know you've made someone physically ill for <laughs> some some lols on a microphone, you definitely feel some guilt. Mm. And you're like, uh, do they feel like they're entering like the freak chamber? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's the other thing is they don't know us. So they're coming in like, oh, am I about to just, yeah, what have I signed up for? Who are these freaks? Do they just watch torture porn movies all the time? And the answer is yes, but that's not what the show's about. That's not, yeah, the, we save that for our free time. My free period. So- is there any movies that really stand out to you? From the list? From the list that we've watched that you still go back to or think about in a positive light? I don't think I've gone back to any single one of these, but I will say Problem Child stands out to me in my brain. I'm like, that's that's one that I was... You know when, you, when you're, you're watching a movie and you can't quite believe what's happening and your mouth slowly kind of keeps opening? Like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, Problem Child uh, was one of my favorites. I I definitely know it's one of my highest rated. And I think it was mainly because it took me back to 
the age and the era that it spoke to mm. and the kind of tone and everything was like, this was the kind of movie I would have loved growing up if I was eight years, nine years old. It's in the Sandler era. It feels like a, and a, a, it's, it's uh, directed by a, a Dennis the, Duggan who did Billy Madison. Yeah. He did a few Sandler movies and, and still does them. I think like uh, he's in the oeuvre of the Adam Sandler. And of course it was written by the guys who then went on to make, um, the People versus O.J. Simpson, the series, yeah, of course, and uh, they which also, have similarities. Yeah, and they also <laughs> wrote the Dolomite movie that Eddie Murphy did for oh, Netflix. Yeah. So that was one that stands out. Problem Child was kind of fun. We didn't realize that it was like a whole series. There's two sequels in a cartoon spinoff or something that was on mm. TV. But that's one of the best ones, and I can. <laughs> It's hard to know because watching these movies changes your baseline of what a good movie is. Mm -hmm. And talking about them at length and dissecting them also changes how you think about media in general. Mm. But now that we've done at least 40 or something of these movies. That's crazy. um, That is, yeah, that's kind of nuts thinking about how, how long that this has been happening to us. And we don't, we, we really need to just wrap it up. There's like six or seven movies left. <laughs> if, we can, if we can just get all four of us together, we can smash these out. We'll do a bonanza. We'll do, you know. Yeah. I was going to say, we should rent out a theater. And I'm like, no, that, that doesn't, we don't need to do that. Well, speaking of, and I know we've touched on this in prior episodes, but our very first remote guest was Zachary Ruwain from Auntie Donna the comedy trio friend of the show friend of the show um he he didn't tell us what he was working on next he was like a bit mum about it and then like a month later they announced that they had a show coming out on netflix and it was a huge deal and and great for everybody um but what zach did and if you're watching this zach i'm talking to you uh he loved our podcast so much um that he clearly was like hey talking about bad movies is something i like to do I should start my own podcast where I do it and my own like cinema series where we hire out a cinema in Melbourne, watch old bad movies and I do a and a and it's just a fun night out. Um, great ideas, Zach. Right there with you. Well done, Zach. Uh, a, a really, really fantastic uh, thing to do where you... Uh you take our idea, but you uh, add production value and, uh, you know. <laughs> and celebrity endorsements. Celebrity endorsements. So uh, definitely get to any of those screenings. I'm sure they would be fun because doing this podcast is fun and it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, I remember that, that, that day and being like, wow, it's really happening. We're, we've got a real guest. And he was, yeah, he, he, that was... That was one of the, like the the first ones where I was like, "Thank God we have a, a, like a sweet movie to watch with someone." I would love to get Zach back on the show, and I would love to uh, not call him out on this behavior, but at least discuss it in a friendly one-on-one manner. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going for the jugular on this <laughs> one. That's that's not okay. Yeah. Well, you know, karma comes for all of us in the end. And uh, Arnie Donner's big old house of fun was not renewed for a second season. So oh. let's call it even, Zach. And I hope you don't get any more TV shows like on the ABC anytime soon. <laughs> all right, Mitch. So I'm, I want to quickly talk through some of the films we have coming up on the podcast. Okay. So the last film we watched, I think, was Precious Cargo. Do you remember Precious Cargo? It's kind of an action film. 
We watched it in my house. It wasn't very good. Did, did we watch? Was that the last movie? I thought the last movie was. Um, we might have gone back and watched a different one, but in the chronological order of release, that was definitely the last one. What was? Oh, Bruce Willis. Yes, right, right. I, I think yeah. uh, I think that we did the Billy Bob one last, right? Oh yeah. What was that? What I don't know. Called? And I rated it like nine out of ten or some shit. London Fields. London that was Fields. London Fields. Right, yes, yes. That was sick. We jumped ahead to uh, to, to talk about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's acting performances <laughs> in, in London Fields. You're totally right. So there's two in between Precious Cargo and London Fields oh. chronologically. One of them is Stratton, which is I have looked up and I don't think it has much sort of notable uh, notoriety or anything. It's well, just like- I don't think um, David Stratton is a very <laughs> well-known person outside of- People who grew up in Australia in the 90s. I cannot confirm or deny whether it's a David Stratton at the movies biopic, I, but I would assume it might not be. So don't get your hopes up. I would. Margot Robbie write plays that. Pomeranz. <laughs> Dude, that would be excellent. And it's just about the uh, the budding romance between the two hosts. <laughs> Set it in the in the offices of the ABC. You can have. Uh, uh, Were they on SBS at first? I feel like they jumped around. Th- maybe. maybe I don't they know. Ended on SBS, but they definitely were on both eventually. One was called At the Movies. At the Movies with, with Margaret, Margaret and David. David, and I think they had a different one that might have just been like the movie show with Margaret and David. Or something. yeah, I think at the beginning it was just about David and Margaret <laughs> was just asking him about things. But then you know their their chemistry, their connection, sort of like you know brought them brought them into the into the hearts and minds of the Australian people. So that'll be an exciting film, Stratton. Stratton. Maybe we'll do that next. I just want to do one with the boys before we try and get any more guests. It's been ages since we've had a guest, Mm -hmm. but it's also really hard to even get the four of us together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to do Stratton next, just the boys. And then I want to try and do Gotti. Oh, I'm so excited for Gotti. Should Should we try to get Michael back for that one? I was thinking of maybe getting trying to get Zach back. Let's try to get Zach. Let's I, try to get someone back for that one. Because I think when we got Zach, we let him choose which one he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think he said he was tossing up between the film we did, which was um, Ballistic X versus Sever, or Gotti. And the thing about Gotti is I believe it's directed by um, E from Entourage. Does that sound right to you? That does, I mean, it sounds right in that it's a zero percenter. <laughs> if E from Entourage, who played E? I just, it, Kevin Connolly. I always think of Sean Astin. He's oh, a real yeah. Sean Astin looking guy. I don't know why to me. He's got a bit of a croakier voice than yeah, Sean yeah. Astin. But Kevin Connolly was uh, friends with Leo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire. They were part of. Was it the Brat Pack or the Rat Pack? Or the, I think it's the Brat Pack. The Brat Pack. Because the Rat Pack is like Sinatra and Dean Martin. And yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so he grew up. He was like a child actor with those guys and they all came up together. And he was obviously E in Entourage. And then in 2018, his his directed movie came out, which is Gotti. I'm so excited. I think anything with John Travolta now just gets me excited. I was, I was sad that, uh, what's that movie, Michael? Wasn't lower rated, so we couldn't do it on the show. Yeah, um, there's also a movie uh, by Josh Trank that came out a couple of years ago. So, if you remember Josh Trank, he directed um, Chronicle. 
Chronicle, great movie. In uh, the early, maybe 2012. Yeah. And, um, and then he, uh, from Chronicle, which was a number one movie, like it actually- mm, It was a hit. Yeah, hit for Fox, 20th Century Fox. Um, he was signed up to do the Fantastic Four. Mm, um, Fan4Stick. Fan4Stick, which was under the Marvel and Fox banner because they had the rights to those, like they have the X-Men and, and those. So it wasn't an MCU film but this was before Fox had been sold to Disney. So he did the Fantastic Four movie and uh, by all accounts, the production was a disaster. Um, there were a lot of reports that came out at the time um, that were what you call like damage control, but from different people involved in the movie. So they were they were basically claiming that Trank like went completely off the rails uh, was either drinking or doing drugs. His dog tore up his like apartment. He went over budget, and and it was one of those movies where they basically fired him from it before releasing it, and did a whole bunch of reshoots. I think without him mm. as well. Um, there's a really interesting series where he did an interview with Kevin Smith, mm. like right before it came out. Oh, whoa. and it's like a long. It's hours long. It's his whole history. He talks about how he came up in the industry and and, and his whole history to getting that movie and how excited he was for it and how he was trying to do this kind of like body horror thing of, with the Fantastic Four. He's trying to do like a Cronenberg superhero movie, which just sounds fucking awful. <laughs> Basically, at the end of this, he's like, "The movie's coming out in like a couple weeks." I don't know if he says the words like I'm proud of it, but it, he's definitely not being like it's it was a horrible disaster and it's and I, and I disown it or I want my name off or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's quite an interesting conversation where it all sounds cool. Then um, and then they say like we'll do a second part when the movie's out so we can talk about like what happens in the movie. And then the episode ends and then the movie comes out and it does really badly. Kind of gets destroyed by the critics. Not zero percent, but probably I'm going to guess like 40 percent. Right. Um, and loses money and all these stories had already come out about him. So they never do a part two. It's like one of the biggest cliffhangers in my personal <laughs> life is like, where is Kevin Smith's part two? And now it's been, I don't know, six years or seven years or something. Mm. Um, so I always wanted to hear that part two and I don't think it's ever coming. But for years after that, I was like, what's Trank going to do? Can you bounce back from from basically bungling a giant production, whether it was his fault, whether he just fell out with the producers, whether they didn't want to do what he wanted to do? Who knows? Those studio movies are like an unwieldy beast. There's hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. And I don't think you have the control that people think directors have in those. Um, Not at all. So I'm waiting for years. I'm following. He, he deletes his social media. Um, at some point he starts posting Instagram stories, but again, I think he's like, his feed is blank. He's not interacting with anyone. No one's like leaving him comments or whatever. Then, uh, he finally announces that he's working on a new movie and that movie is an Al Capone movie with Tom Hardy playing Al Capone. Oh, okay. Um, And it's called Capone. And I was, I haven't even seen it, but I've wanted to see it because I, he, he kind of came out again and had to promote it a bit. It wasn't a major studio release. It was like mm. totally an indie kind of movie. And it, it went into a few film festivals and things. And then it didn't even release in cinemas. I think it was like a VOD release mm-hmm. in the US. But from what I've read, it's like old Al Capone. It's not like the untouchables Al Capone. Mm-hmm. It's like Al Capone when he's old and has like Syphilis syphilitic and dementia <laughs> and is just- Run his brain. Yeah. So, um, and it's art house as well. It's not like cool gangster movie. Mm. It's like indie movie about old man. 
um, who committed crimes. So uh, it also came out to, it was very polarizing. Like I'm pretty sure the reviews were like right down the middle in terms of, um, and I can look this up, but yeah, I think it's like a 50%, even maybe like 48, 49, like right on there where some people just hate it. And uh, the only thing I've heard about it is that Tom Hardy like shits himself in it. And like, because <laughs> that's what happens when you have dementia. It's like you just wake up in your bed and you've shit yourself and you're covered in shit. And right, right. Um, I don't know why I went on a huge rant about Josh Trank, but I think it's because we talked about Gotti and it made me think of Al Capone. And, um, and just the, the, the dream of like being a Hollywood director and getting the comic book movie, the big one, that, mm. and then things go, maybe some in your control, maybe some not. I don't think he ever took the blame and was like, I fucked this movie up. I think he was like, he came out and tweeted when the movie came out, basically like um, the, I made a, a good movie. It's a shame no one will ever get to see it. Something like that. Basically being like the version they're putting out is not the movie I made. How much do you believe people when they say that? You know, because I've, I think with superhero movies, there's a lot of examples. There's David Ayer and and his Suicide Squad movie. He's like, I made this fantastic like thing about uh, uh, trauma, and and you watch the movie, and you're like, how does that relate to this sort of like, you know, edge fest kind of you know, you just like porny shots of, of Margot Robbie. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Like Jared Leto's chewing the scenery kind of shit. And then, you know, with Josh Trank, like I, I, I understand wanting to bring something new to the idea of the Fantastic Four. Is the Fantastic Four your avenue to make your like art house thing about like body horror and like I'm stretching uh, like Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I think the other part was he was signed on to do a Star Wars movie, I'm pretty sure, as well. And I think either during the period that the article started coming out, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter article, like he, yeah, he was kicked off Star Wars before he'd even filmed it or anything, just like mm. in the in the early days of it. But so it's like you lose a Star Wars movie, your superhero movie comes out, everyone hates it, all these stories about you, um, being like impossible to work with or going crazy or whatever. And it did feel to me like, I'm sure there was some of that, but I do think that when people know that a huge like bungle of a movie is coming out, because in reality, if you thought about it like a software product or something, it's like $150 million investment, maybe oh, yeah. 200 plus, And so there's project managers and there's people in charge of it. And so it's, someone's head is going to roll for it. His yeah. head is already rolled. They fired him and like finished the movie without him. But the producers who are, were on it would want to mm. be like putting, like feeding stories to the Hollywood. Oh reporter. yeah. Saying that like, and that's where I feel that that's a bit like a, like I feel for the guy because you know that, 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 that studio is going to try to put all the blame on him or like put all the blame on David Ayer or Zack Snyder for why their, their shit doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, but, but also like when you're trying to, you know, think outside the box, you're trying to do something fresh rather than trying to be like, all right, how does this actually like this feeling that you get from the original pro product? How does that translate to the screen? It's like, do we really want to get directors with their own vision? And this, that, that it's fucked up because you, you do want 
more of a vision in like these superhero movies. You don't want them to be bland. You don't want Martin Scorsese sitting there being like, it's all a fucking roller coaster. Like it's, you, you, you do want people with their own ideas, but like, why are we getting the guy who did training day or why are we getting the guy who did, I mean, Chronicle, it makes the most sense. Get a guy who's, who's done this movie about young superheroes and, and bring him in to do this, this big thing. But like maybe in the early meetings when he's talking about like, yeah, I just want it to be really fucked up and, and you know, you want to feel like he's on fire. You're like, <laughs> do you? It's the human torch. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. I don't know if, I think if you ever heard the original pitch, like anyone who's gone through making any sort of big project knows that there's your concept at the beginning and the idea that gets everyone excited or maybe gets signed off on or greenlit and you bring your people in to try and make it happen. But there's just a million things that happen along the way that are small compromises, larger compromises, uh, things just like the weather or or actors not being available, whatever, all these things that change. Then you've got other hands in the pie creatively that are mm-hmm. like, we kind of never really liked that part of what you were doing and you're doing too much of it. So we want to pull that back. We want you mm. to cut this scene. And that's good. We don't, Yeah, we don't have a VFX budget for this anymore or even while we're making it another movie comes out that did something like that or did it badly and now they've turned off to it so there's all these extenuating circumstances and then the movie that comes out is like nothing like anyone wanted to do in the movie in the end because at the end you're trying to save what you have salvage it get someone else to reshoot it and they did that with david ayer they did that with josh trank and they did it with Zack snyder and the the snyder cut weird like trolliness that is 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 a subculture unto itself which is a mix of people that are just like nerdy comic book guys that want to see an like a director's vision yeah versus like actual like russian bot troll farms (laughs) and there was an article where one of the producers i think was almost accusing Zack snyder of like funding Mm. like that kind of um grassroots quote fake campaigns to try and push it forward. But at the, at the same time, he had like his daughter committed suicide. Him and his wife were the producers on the movie. They left it. They brought in Josh, Josh Whedon to try and finish it. Um, if you talk to them about their original vision, I think it would be so different to what it comes out. And, and, oh yeah. And, and that's always going to happen when it's like a multinational conglomerate that is also trying to sell Toys. Toys, video games, theme parks, McDonald's, you know, cross promotions. They're going to do a ride at a theme park. Like all, all these different things that happen with these movies that are just so much more than like telling a story. They take like six months, nine months to film them. Mm. They're all just in a warehouse in front of blue screens with people on wires. So no one knows at any point whether it's going to be good or not. Yeah. Because there's just no way of knowing. And then it's whether the guy who's or the girl who's behind it is like can can pull it off and and they sometimes can pull it off what they want and the people in like the execs in front of them have, have got fired and want to do something different and they want to pivot and now we don't want to do our own uh you know cinematic universe because the others haven't done as good like so there's a, there's a very big difference to what you signed on to what you actually pitched and to what happened and i think david ayer would have definitely had that where mm. the story was that they put out um, a trailer for that movie. Yeah, the trailer house um, uh, that did the 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 Suicide Squad the Suicide first Squad trailer. trailer. 
Sorry, Suicide Squad, not yeah, the sorry, Suicide yeah. Squad. That's, the, that's the, the other distinction. That, that's a great example <laughs> of like how these companies can pivot. Um, it was like a Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, was the song behind it. It was like I a, think so. Yeah, and it was a really cool, colourful, like music video-esque trailer that got people super pumped for the movie. Mm. And it actually meant that the movie opened really big, but supposedly what happened in between, they were like, that trailer was awesome. This is Warner Brothers and mm. DC Films. We're like, that trailer was awesome, but uh, the movie isn't good. And we're going to like let that trailer place recut the movie. And that's like the the worst, the worst example of what like of corporate I- instinct, you yeah. know, being like, what if we just have like the first uh, 10 minutes, we'll just be like, all right, now play Fortunate Son. All right, now that's been two minutes. Let's play uh, Eminem. Let's, you know, it was just like everything happening. Yeah, yeah. If you watch that movie, it just starts with nothing but needle drops and like it's it's a weird build. But the other part is that David Ayer didn't say anything at the time. And now it's been five, six years and he's come out and he's basically like, um, I want to tell people that even though I played the game at the time and now he's seen what happened with Zack Snyder's Justice League, he's saying, um, yeah, I played the game. I code, I towed the company line and now uh, I want to be honest that the movie they put out isn't my movie. I had a great cut somewhere. Mm. Um, there were stories in the Snyder cut where like Zack Snyder like snuck into the offices and like, stole files and then went home and edited <laughs> stuff and then shot things like in his backyard with green screen and like had the actors over in COVID and things. Yeah. And I think that the, one of the last shots is, is shot at like over his pool or something like that. Right. Yeah. So there's definitely like a world where these, these movies are not in control by the people who make them and, but their name is on it. And that's mm. just, that just sucks to put something out that you're like, I did work on this really hard, but the version that is out there is not the version I want to make. But guess what? It says my name. And when the reviews say Mitch Gosling's movie sucks, you're like, <laughs> mm, was it well, Mitch Gosling's movie? Was it? Well, like, okay, to take it back to the the truly rotten uh, list, you know, the, I think that the director for London Field said a, a pretty similar thing about his his film not being his vision. Mm-hmm. But then you watch it and you think, what was your vision? Like, what did everything go wrong? You know? Yeah. London Fields was an example where the director not only said that the movie that came out wasn't theirs, but they like fully tried to not have their name on it. Mm. They completely tried to like, there was lawsuits and they, but again, like the producers said, you didn't do what you said you would do, you know, you were late or whatever. And, and then they had this huge argument and ended up suing each other to force the film to come out. So in the end, no one's really happy because the producer's like, well, we can at least try and get something out of this. <laughs> but the, yeah, the guy's like, I don't want my name on this. I'm not going to promote it, whatever. There's a version that I would have wanted to have out there. It happens all the time. And we know that these films and the rotten potatoes list of zero percenters a lot of them would have gone through similar things i think if you oh definitely if you had a good chat to the directors of every one of these movies barely any of them would say like no that's exactly the movie i wanted to make Mm. you know i think only a a handful of them and if you said how many of these were completely meddled in by financiers and producers and other people that were in charge of money they would 
pretty much all be like, yeah, all of them. But that's also what the job is, navigating those situations. Oh, yeah. Well, like, do you remember, did you ever see The Guest? Yes. Um, and and so the, the guys who did that, the team behind that went on to do Your Next, which was another really great one. Um, great kind of subversion of the, the home evasion uh, genre. And then they went into their first big Hollywood movie, which was the Blair Witch reboot. Mm. And I think the pitch that they had was was really like they wanted to go in new places. And by the end of it, it's just like none of the ideas that they had actually get through. And, and you know, it, it's, it's not a reflection of the people who actually like do these things. Like I said, like David Ayer and even Josh Trank, like I think Josh Trank, I mean, obviously Chronicle had like a really good script. He brought some interesting things into that, like some shit I'd never seen in, in a movie. But like, yeah, like David Ayer doing someone like the Joker and trying to get him like, uh, uh, I don't know. I just don't think that he's the guy to helm a superhero movie unless you're letting him do his full thing and you're just going like, this This is what we're doing. Let him go for it. Like, you know, you, you wouldn't get Tarantino in for one of these things and then be like, mm, this is the one time you, you got to trust some people. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking of some of the other movies we've watched on this list and like how lost they've got mm-hmm. along the way, um, how, how little they made sense and where that would be. Where, where, where that would have happened along mm. the way, whether it's an edit that the director didn't have or even just logistical things where you had to cut scenes out or miss a day of shooting because of, you know, some crazy storm that destroyed your set. Those kind of things like that you just can't help and then you're trying to salvage what you've got and you're like, I think this makes sense now, <laughs> but they can, they can easily still not. It's definitely like a hard thing to deal with and the worst part of these jobs for those directors is that it requires a whole ton of promotion. Mm. You have to go out to the world and sell your film and the actors as well. Mm. Whenever I see clips of a junket Mm. of a bunch of actors, like in a hotel room, just doing five minute interviews for like 12 hours straight with all these different publications. And they're just getting asked the most, same inane questions mm. that you can or the person's trying to play a game with them for like a fun little viral thing or it's like put this hat on and quote this thing to me or look at my shirt that I'm wearing isn't that like this movie you used to do or whatever and I'm just like man the word I honestly think it's probably one of the worst forms of torture just below <laughs> waterboarding is to have to do that when you know the film is bad and you've known for like months because you could tell on set that you weren't getting what you needed and maybe you saw some some dailies or a rough cut and you're just like, I'm the star of this movie and it fucking sucks. It doesn't make sense. And I have to now sit there and like nod along and be like, I'm so excited for this to come out and I think everyone should see it because you're contractually obligated to promote the film. That's a worse kind of hell than I can imagine, Mitch. Almost worse than having to watch these films and podcast about them. I got to say though, like there's, there's the, you know, you watch some of these and you know that, you know, like Dennis Rodman, what was his one? Uh, Simon Says, he would have had a blast doing that. Yeah. Because like he doesn't care about the quality of his fucking movie. He's in a fucking movie. It's like uh, the, the 
Jean-Claude Van Damme one. I imagine that everyone would have just had a great time on the tour, not given a shit about any of the like reviews or anything like that. Yeah, and in those ones, you know that you're like, look, I'm in a Van Damme straight-to-DVD movie about mm-hmm. like a train with a bioweapon. I'm just going to come do my job and, and whatever. But but what does Van Damme think about it? Like, is he – I mean, I wonder what his taste is like for those kind of films. I think his taste is essentially like I would like to be able to exhibit that I can do a kick. I would like to be with a beautiful woman. <laughs> So they're trying to be like, oh, we really need a scene that explains why these bad guys got this bioweapon or where they got it. And then he's just sitting there like, make sure I look cool in this next action scene. I would like to be sexy. What's a Jean-Claude Van Damme impression sound like? Oh, I, I can't even. I haven't heard his voice in a while. Yeah, well, really that's, that's for the next episode. Stay tuned. Vaguely for Russian, European? Yeah, just like mixed European. Slavic somewhere? Yeah, yeah. something like that. Oh, good times. Anyway, there's been some great stars on this pod, hasn't there? There's been some 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 uh, some stars, some highlights. Let's list a few of the stars that have been in 0% movies that we've watched for the podcast. I'll start and then you throw one in. So, Bruce Willis. John Travolta. Heather Graham. Uh, Eddie Murphy. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, who was the person I just said before? Uh, Simon Says. Uh, Dennis Rodman. What if I was to go with... Uh, Johnny Depp? Yeah, Amber Heard. Um, <laughs> There's so many. We've done a few. We've done um, a few. Lucy Liu. Oh, uh, Antonio Banderas. That's right. Oh, who was in Look Who's Talking? Kirsty Alley? Oh, yeah. Um, damn, it's jo- uh, Danny DeVito. He was a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the guy from Highlander and Highlander Two? Um, are you talking oh, Sean, Sean Connery? Sean Connery was he in it? Sean Connery, yeah, Sean yeah, he's, Connery. He's in Highlander Two and Highlander. Um, who were the kids in uh, Blue Lagoon? Uh Mila Jovovich. Yes, I don't know who the guy was. I think he was from uh, Charmed. I think he was the white lighter from Charmed. <laughs> yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, Leo. Yes. I've got some in the tank now. I've, oh, had, okay. I've had time to think. You're, you're looking I'm, it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying. Oh, John Hamm? Ah, John Ritter. Which one was John Ritter in? Problem Child. <laughs> oh, yes. He's the he's the dad. Michael Richards. Michael Richards. Kramer himself. Oh, we're in tough territory. Oh, Linda Hamilton. Yes. Um, Kate Beckinsale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. Is her husband a famous person in that movie? In the in 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 the oh, who the, like the guy in the in guy. disappointments room? Yeah, in the disappointments room. Was the dad someone famous? Was there like a John Lithgow type or David Morse or something? They had no the 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 ghost man was from Deadwood. Oh yeah. yes, yeah, but not yeah. not the good guy from Deadwood. No, not the yeah. good guy. Uh, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen was in uh, Shadow Conspiracy, which I see oh. on Netflix all the time. Yeah, I'm like, this is sick. Um, uh, John Candy. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, Donald Sutherland. Yes. Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis. Uh, John C. McGinley is in. He's in a couple. A few of them. Um, is it Maria Bello? Maria Bellows from, from Max Steel. She was the mom in Max Steel. Oh, yeah. Oh, who's the bad guy in that? Um, 
Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia. Yeah. Oh, Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, who's the sound guy in Police Academy? Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow. Yeah. I mean, Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, the, the the trio. I'm like, who are we? Who are we missing? What was that? Wait, Michael Caine in Jaws? Michael Caine. Jaws the Revenge? Jaws the Revenge. Who was the, what was that awful fucking movie? Misha Barton was in one oh, of the, Misha the horror Barton. ones. That was sick. I love that one. Oh man, this is, I think I'm, I think I'm tapped. I think we did a good job. I think we did a really good job. Yeah. All right. That was great. You want to play a few like quick movie trivia games before okay. we, before we move on? Hear me. I'm, I'm just going to a website with 125 uh, movie trivia questions and I'm just going to rattle them off and let's see if you can get the first 10. Right. What are the dying words of Charles Foster Kane in Citizen Kane? Rosebud. Who plays Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate? I don't know. What was, was the first feature length animated movie ever released? Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. In Matrix, does Neo take the blue pill or the red pill? He takes the red pill. You're killing it. For what movie did Tom Hanks score his first Academy Award nomination? Ooh, nomination? Yes. Philadelphia. Forrest Gump. Big. B- big? Yeah. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Dude, that's, that's so fucking stupid. What 1927 musical was the first talkie? 1927 musical is the first talkie. What I, should, should I know this? You might have heard of it, but you wouldn't have seen it. Um, pass. The Jazz Singer. The Jazz. What was the name of the skyscraper in Die Hard? Um, Nakatomi Plaza. That's right. What flavor of Pop-Tarts does Buddy the Elf, Will Ferrell, use in his spaghetti in Elf? Uh, cookies and cream? Chocolate. Chocolate. Okay. I'll see if you know this one. What shocking Wes Craven horror movie carried the marketing tagline to avoid fainting Keep repeating, it's only a movie. Uh, the Last House on the Left? Yes. Well done. Yeah. That, that's, that's the, I don't think you'll know the last one. I don't think anyone would know this last Come one. Come on. What pop vocal group performs at the wedding in Bridesmaids? What pop vocal? I don't know. Yeah. I liked Bridesmaids. Yeah. I that's all I'll say. I couldn't tell I, you who the band was. I, I don't yeah. know. Who, who was it? They're called Wilson Phillips. Ah, Wilson Phillips. Everybody's favorite. Uh, everybody's favorite um, pop vocal act. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want me to hit you with a few? Yeah, you're gonna go from the same list. I'll 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 go from the same list. Although right. I'm, I'm gonna go down from from a, a question on just in case you knew. All yeah. right, what American writer director starred in several iconic European produced spaghetti westerns? Clint Eastwood. Correct. The head of what kind of animal is front and center in an infamous scene from The Godfather? It's a horse's head. Fuck, that was easy. What TV show was Jack Nicholson referencing when he ad-libbed his Johnny in The Shining? That would be Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Correct. Fuck, damn. All right. What critically panned 1984 country musical comedy starring Dolly Parton and Sylvester Stallone eventually became a cult classic? Rhinestone? Correct. Jesus. All right. Who played the park owner, John Hammond in Jurassic Park? Richard Attenborough. Correct. All right. And then what 1976 thriller does Robert De Niro famously say, you talking to me? Taxi driver. Oh, damn it. This is fucked. 
Why did you, okay, if I, you know what? I'm getting a redo after this. This, this is, all right. You what's did the, good. You got like one wrong. I know, but, but I felt like, all right, all right. What's the name of the anthemic dance near the beginning of the Rocky Horror Picture Show? The Time Warp? Correct. For what movie did Steven Spielberg win his first Oscar for Best Director? Ooh, that, yeah, that's, that is a good one. Does it start with A? What? I, I wouldn't tell you that. But could you? I won't. But did you say I yes or no? I could. No. It I just didn't. need some help. No. Um, all right. I'm going to say. What did you think it was? Oh, yeah. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I mean, he would have definitely won for Schindler's List, but I feel like he would have won something before that potentially. But I'll just go Schindler's List. It's Schindler's List. Okay. <laughs> Damn. All right. What is the name of the courtesan? Played by Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. I got nothing. Haven't seen it. Satine. Yeah, it's not. I hot take. Uh, Moulin Rouge sucks. <laughs> I don't like musicals that are all covers. Uh, I I definitely don't like. I mean, there's a certain line with Baz Luhrmann. You know, you got to take. I think that we should all not let him go too far. <laughs> Otherwise, you're playing Doja Cat songs in an Elvis movie, and it's all gone to shit. All right, last question. In what 1950 drama does Betty Davis say, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Look, I wasn't born until the 90s, Mitch. So my, <laughs> my knowledge of 1950s movies. Never seen a Betty Davis movie in my life. Not even sure I could name one. No, me neither. No idea. Um, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. I got nothing. All about Eve. Come okay. on, Declan. Yeah. You, you, you call yourself a master of cinema. <laughs> you call yourself a... Uh, 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 <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. Nice. This has been a great episode of Truly Rotten Potatoes. And we'll be back hopefully next time with your original crew. We'll talk through one of these films, probably Stratton. So if you want to watch Stratton, now's the time. So you can listen along and hear our discussion. And before we we, we put it out, we'll, we'll get some great uh, at the movies clips that you can watch to prepare for the episode. Thank you. Bye.